Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Yesterday, I got to be at church, and during the greeting time, I was giving a hug to my friend Candy, and she smelled so good. I was like, what is the fragrance that you're wearing? She goes, oh, I think it's called Eternity. Uh. And I thought, what a great what a great fragrance, you know, to be able to smell eternity all day. I feel like we get so caught up in the right here, right now, and the things that are going on in our world that impact our days and impact our life that sometimes we lose sight of eternity. Mm. It'd be good to just have a fragrance that regularly reminded you that you're going to live forever. There's something bigger going on. Yeah, it might help us make some better choices down the road and also not get so worried if things don't pan out right away, knowing that there's much bigger picture in store for us. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think we can get really kind of laser focused on our circumstances and what's going on right here, right now in this moment. And instead of being able to see there's life beyond this Mm -hmm. and we're going to make it through this and it's going to be okay. I remember when we started into the pandemic back in spring of 2020, just feeling like really unsettled as everything got turned upside down and, Everything. I mean, we had the privilege of, because we were right. deemed essential. We were deemed essential. I still have that piece of paper in my car somewhere. That you're essential? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm essential person. Just in case you ever feel like <laughs> well, you, know, you know, I'm you feeling down, much. I can pull it out. The That's government right. says I'm essential. I'm okay. essential. <laughs> anyway, we kept coming to work every single day throughout COVID, but it seemed like that, for me, that was the only thing that stayed the same. Everything else changed. My college kids came home. My high school daughter you know, was sent home from school, and it just... Everybody was just trying to figure out in the moment what to do. So it didn't really feel like she had a clear plan for her education. You know, she just was home. Mm-hmm. My husband, the church was closed down. My husband's a pastor. And so he was working from home and everything was just different. And it was, I noticed that I was feeling just really insecure and really unsettled in the midst of that. And I think I was not alone. A lot of people were feeling very yeah. unsettled and you know, this is before we knew that there was a worldwide pandemic going on. It was all just getting started. And it's just like, what is happening? If we had known what was coming. Yeah, if we had known. But I think that what was so unsettling about it was I realized that I was putting my trust in my routine. There were just things that were normal, that that was where safety was found for me instead of my safety coming from knowing that I belong to God and that I'm in him and that he's, he's got me covered and that this is not just this moment that we live in, you know, life is way bigger than that. And we're going to live for all eternity with him. Mm. Yeah. I I think you kind of feel the same way sometimes in my life. Like when I was visiting my daughter and son-in-law, obviously my routine was changed because I wasn't getting up and going to work. But at the same time, I'm thinking, other than going and playing ball with Astrid, what does my life mean here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, that's that's probably a question that raises for many of us at different times, different seasons, different circumstances. Right. But like, what, what does my life mean here? Mm-hmm. And if we can keep eternity in mind, I think we'll get clarity about that. Sometimes we get our feathers all ruffled about the right here, right now, and the moment that we're sitting in instead of being able to see what we're experiencing from an eternal perspective. And 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, light and momentary troubles, it says. This, this too shall pass the moment that you're sitting in and the hard things that you're walking through 
they're going to be over. At some point, you'll look back on them and be able to reflect on them and grow and learn from them. But because God saw fit to to take on humanity and to take on our sins and to die in our place, because he rode from, rose from the dead and because he's still alive today, we are utterly secure. Our eternity has been provided for. Eternity. We have an unshakable future with God forever, forever and ever and ever. So I don't know what the moment that you're going through right now looks like for you. But I do know that God has you covered. He's got all of eternity in mind for you and that you're going to be okay no matter what. I think it's safe to say that we all want God's blessing in our lives. I mean, if I were to take a roll call and say, who wants God's blessing? I'm pretty much sure everybody would raise their hand. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Well, I'll tell you what you should be doing is looking at a blueprint that's actually in the Bible for God's blessing. It's actually, it's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We know it as the Beatitudes and a message that's directed to the family of God in particular. So you got to remember when you're hearing about the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, that's really directed at God's people. So here Jesus is telling us how we can enjoy the blessings of God by following these virtues and values. Remember, it's not a way of gaining entry into heaven, but it is a way that we should be reflecting its values. So Mm -hmm. it's a good thing to me. Now, one of the things that stands out to me in the Beatitudes is meekness. You know, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in the New Living Translation, it reads, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, I don't see too many people stepping up and say, I want to be humble. Uh, you know, actually, if you try to go and say, I intend to be the most humble man ever. Well, you've obviously defeated the purpose mm-hmm. in try doing that. But I wouldn't see, or somebody putting a yard site, vote for so-and-so. He's the meekest guy I know. Right. <laughs> you just wouldn't see that. Yeah, meekness isn't, um, it isn't a quality that necessarily we aspire to. Right. It, I think a lot of it's because we don't understand what it really means. Mm-hmm. But Jesus describes this in Matthew eleven twenty nine because he himself was described as being meek and lowly in heart. But we also know that Jesus could be tough when he needed to be. He drove the money changers from the temple We think of Moses, who was described as the meekest man on earth, and yet, well, (laughs) when he saw the golden calf and the dancing of the people against this idol, he, when he came down from the mountain, he broke the tablets of stone, and we could probably name numerous times during his life where he just jumped into action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lost his temper. He he was kind of known for that. Yeah, but the Bible says he was the meekest man on earth. So from this, we can assume it doesn't mean to make ourselves a doormat or just to be passive. Meekness, unlike timidity, implies a quiet trust in God. Now, Elias Aslikson, if I can pronounce that right, he was born in Norway in the early 1900s and served as a missionary to China, said this about meekness. He said the divine nature is two-sided. It's quiet when it's fitting to be quiet, And it can boom like the sound of thunder and lightning when it's fitting to do so. Sinful nature also has two sides. It's boisterous when it ought to be quiet, and it's quiet and timid when it ought to be crying out with all of its might. And I think we tend to live on the other side of that more than we should. 
But he also goes on to say, meekness leads to salvation. We're to receive with meekness the words implanted in us. We read this in James 1.21. Now, when the word judges and chastens us, when it divides between soul and spirit and joints and marrow, when it crushes and humbles us, when it takes away and lays us bare, then it's vital to be quiet and meek and admit that the word is right, not to be objecting and saying, no, God, you don't understand. Right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like meekness, I've, I've heard somebody once describe humility as being just a, a right understanding of who we are. Right. And meekness is very similar. Yeah. And is also I've heard it described as power being under control. So that's mm-hmm. also another good way to think of it. Well, from this, we know that meekness is a discipline that we have to learn. It's not something that comes naturally to us. But it is something we do need to allow God's Spirit to do in our lives so we can be more like Him. And frankly, I think we could all use a lot more meekness in our lives these days. So, if you want happiness, learn meekness. feel about like personality tests and that sort of thing, but I kind of geek out on them. I love discovery and and understanding a little bit better about my strengths and my weaknesses so that I can be aware and I can, you know, make adjustments that need to be made. I've never quite known what to make of some of these personality things. So some of them are are spot on, other things are going, really? <laughs> I didn't see thinking? myself that way. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I had taken a test. This was a few years back, and I can't remember which one it was called. But it, what it revealed was when I'm under stress, I like all relational um, intelligence kind of goes out the window. Right. When I'm stressed, I just become very task oriented and like do the thing that needs to be done, get after it. And yeah, I I lose sight of kindness and being loving and I become impatient and I become demanding and a taskmaster. Right. Not cool. (laughs) Go make the bed, go get breakfast ready, go dust off the shelves. Yep. That's me. And I got a little bit that way yesterday. I felt like I was trying to, I was trying to meet a a deadline. I was trying to get things done and I became very relationally (laughs) sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm, I'm making this meal and trying to have everything be hot and ready on the table at, at all at once and feeling a little stressed about it. Um, and anyway, then we sit down to eat and, and it was like, we grab hands and it's like, who's going to pray? And it was me. I was going to pray. And I was like, my brain wasn't in that space. And we were getting together for my husband's birthday. I didn't even pray for the guy. I didn't even mention the guy in my prayer. And then afterwards I had to apologize. I was like, I'm so sorry. I had my task-oriented brain on. I didn't have my, you know, be present with the people brain on. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it would have been it would have been better if somebody else had prayed over the meal. But anyway, um, I came across then Romans 12, 12, and listen to what it says. Talk about the Lord just kind of getting you with a zinger. Here's what it says. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And my first thought was, okay, that's a good word for today. I need to I need to slow down and I need to take this in. But my second thought was, what does this mean for me? Like, how do I apply this wisdom today? So let's just break it down a little bit. Be joyful in hope. Trust that God will see us through all the way to the other side of what we're going through. Someday we're going to look back on what we're going through and it's going to be, you know, a part of our past and we're going to see what we learned from it. We're not there yet, but let's be joyful and hopeful that there's going to come a day when we're going to see something good out of this. So here's what I can do with this. I can 
joyfully keep my eyes fixed on God's promises for me. And then the second part is patient in affliction. There's no shortcut to what you're going through. You're going to have to walk through it. You're going to have to walk it out. But the good news is we've got the company of God as we walk through it every single hour of every single day. We can walk at a three-mile-per-hour pace, trusting God with everything that we're feeling, everything that we're thinking, every fear that we have. We can trust God because he's with us in it. So we can be patient in affliction. And I think that's a hard thing for us, uh, particularly as Americans, because we want the instant fix. Can't I just, you know, what go through a 12-step program and get it done right now? Right. Yeah. I mean, we want, we do, we're always looking for the shortcut. We're always looking right. for what's going to get us there quicker, thinking we're faster, we're more advanced. Come on, just give me the short version. Right. But that's not what patient and affliction is. And then the third one is faithful in prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. Faithful in prayer means that We're going to continue this ongoing conversation with God through it all. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, you're not going through it alone. The God of creation who loves you is with you right now in this moment. So if you just acknowledge his presence and invite him into the experience with with you, he will bring you his peace and his wisdom and his leadership and his counsel. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and grab onto this. I'm going to... Hold my thoughts and my feelings open before God and listen for his response faithfully. So that's the encouragement for today. That's what I needed for yesterday and probably for today as well. And what you need today as well. This encouragement from scripture, Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. One thing about us as Americans is that we love our stuff. In fact, we usually have too much stuff in our yes. houses. And instead of getting rid of it, what do we do? We rent space at a storage unit somewhere to store the stuff we're not using right now, but might want to someday. Yeah. Can I tell you something about stuff? When okay. we moved, so we've made a couple of cross-country moves. So from California to Iowa, Iowa to Arizona, Arizona to Michigan. When we were leaving Arizona to come to Michigan, there were boxes that we had not opened from the previous move from Iowa Mm -hmm. to Arizona. Oh, yeah. I'm like, why are we hauling this stuff around the country? Yeah, there's things in my basement that I, when I moved up here from Elkhart over 30 years ago, um, still down there in a box uh, because they didn't fit the style of the house, but we didn't get rid of them either. I don't know if we thought we were going to move into another house at some point that, oh, that'll be the style then and we can bring them back out again. Uh, I know my daughter and son-in-law in in California have been encouraging us to move out there. In fact, uh, they would want us to move into the house that they're in right now once they move to some other house. And I said, man, if we moved into this house, we'd really have to pare down what we have because you know, in California, there's no basements right. in the houses because of earthquake standards. Not much storage. Um, closets are bigger than what I've got in my house, but not that much bigger. Yeah. Now, obviously, I could get rid of winter stuff, but most of the time, the clutter we have isn't stuff that we can normally easily get rid of. It's There's a lot of sentimental stuff we just yeah. hang on to because um, it might be like... Uh, Maybe a first outfit one of our children had, mm-hmm. or it's a, an award I, you know, maybe I won in high school back in the day. And I want to remember that moment by having a trophy sitting on my shelf. Actually, I did get rid of that <laughs> many years ago. I said, oh, why am I hanging on to this? <laughs> and nobody cares. <laughs> but you know, we should do that probably more often. Uh, of course, there's the other, I might find a use for this someday. Right. 
I've got drawers, well, I should say little small drawers filled with screws that I've picked up over the years from different things. You know, might as well hang on to this because you never know when I might find a use for it. This is why people, you know, pay you, offer services to come into your home and yeah. to sort through stuff because they don't have that emotional attachment. They can be like, this is worthless. This is worthless. It's yeah. easy for them to just toss it. I'm probably going to need that someday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, the same could be true for our spiritual life. Um, we think you'd think of when the apostle Paul turned to Christ, he had all sorts of house cleaning to do because after all, he had spent his life burnishing his credentials as to why God should favor him highly above all others. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet when he finally met the living Christ, he had a complete 180 on this. And he said, you know, whatever things were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he was very strong about that. It wasn't just that it was garbage. It was dung. It was Mm -hmm. stinky, worthless, not redeemable in any possible way, which was worthless. He wanted to make sure those who read understood the gap between what was false and what was found with true righteousness in Christ. So what was gained, of course, was Christ. And that relationship wasn't something he earned by keeping the law, uh, but by his faith in Christ. So in other words, if you want to be righteous in God's eyes, and who doesn't want to be cool with God, right? right. When do we want to be cool with God? Uh, we need to let go of our own standard of righteousness and of our, say, here's what I've got, God. See, see, you could tally this up. I'm you, You'd be lucky to have me. <laughs> and he's going to go, uh, no, yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. So you need to give up your own claims to be good enough and recognize that God will only accept what Christ has done on your behalf. That's it. It's a gift. You can't add anything to it. If I were to give you a gift and then you said, hey, let me add to this to make it even better. Mm. I I might feel a little insulted by that because there's really terms of, I mean, if I'm giving you a cheap gift in the first place and it needs to have something added, then there's something wrong with me. But the fact is we've gotten the perfect gift from God through Jesus Christ. So there's nothing else we need to add to it. In fact, there is nothing else we can add to it to make it good. So my question to you this day is what house cleaning do you need to do? Now, I'm not talking about cleaning yourself up and making yourself presentable to God. Right. We're talking about the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly. Just come to him as you are. Let him do the cleaning. Let him do the pruning. And some of it might be a little painful, probably will be, because you're going to have to wind up letting go of some things that you thought were great about yourself that aren't really so great about yourself. But it's also the way that you're going to know true, lasting satisfaction and peace in your life. So let go of your own claims of goodness and then grab hold of the gift God offers us through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 